You're the best passing big man in the MAC conference and a big part of the offensive systems, obviously passing to cutters. One of the issues though, that the team has had is turnovers. Uh, not, we're not asking, but in other losses, why do you think that is and how can that be tightened up? This is Bobcat Banter, presented by QBSN and the Quinnipiac Chronicle. Here goes Deweese. Head of steam, finds Grisdale. Grisdale fakes, down low to Morris. Almost loses the ball, back open to wide open. Grisdale, splash! Hello and welcome to Bobcat Banter. I'm Noah Epstein. Today I'm joined by QBSN broadcast manager Eric Kerr. What's up? <laughs> Chronicle managing editor Toy Lloyd Brown III. You. Chronicle sports editor Riley Millette. Good morning, Noah. Good morning, Riley. And Q30 beat reporter Jack Maine. Hi. And we are live from Atlantic City, where we've been covering the men's and women's MAC tournament all week. In case you've missed it, Quinnipiac is the only school to advance to the semifinals in both tournaments. Both teams play today, looking to advance to the MAC championship game tomorrow. Let's start with the men. Despite losing six straight games to end the season, Baker Dunleavy's team has won two straight in the tournament against number six Marist and number three Siena, and has become the first 11 seed to reach the semis in MAC tournament history. They'll play in their first semifinal game since 2017-2018, when Dunleavy was in his first year as Bobcats coach. So TJ, how is this team playing tonight? Wow. I would not have predicted that we'd be having this conversation about men's basketball at this point in the tournament. But yeah, they beat Maris, making 17 three-pointers on Tuesday. They beat Siena, the number three seeded team in the MAC tournament, getting off to a hot start and staying composed when a, when a Siena team made a 16-2 run. The men's basketball is killer. The men's basketball is all business, and they're motivated to think that they deserve to be this far. doesn't matter how they, how they ended the season, six straight L's. It doesn't matter that they were, they were the 11th seed. They're here to make history. They already made history. I think the biggest reason for that has been going by their biggest strength, and that's the three-point shot. And for finally, for them, it's been going in at a high, high rate. In that first game against Maris, they had a MAC tournament-setting record night with 17 triples. That's good for second most all-time in the MAC tournament. And last night against Siena, they had 10 threes. In both games, they were able to finish at 77 points. So the offense has been coming alive in a huge way. Jacob Bergoni has been having a couple of games, 26 points the first night, 16 points the last night, including some big free throws down the stretch that will Quinnipiac close it out. This team is hot offensively. They're sticking to their strengths, sticking to what they do, and that's why they're here right now. It's been a staple of the Baker Dunleavy offense for years to just take as many three-pointers as possible. And the fact that they got Jacob Bergoni and Matt Belonk hot at the right time, two guys who really struggled in that latter half of the season, they got them going at the right time, and that has really been the biggest difference maker for these guys. When Rich Kelly and Kevin Marfo were in their first year of starting together and running the offense, Quinnipiac was actually 14th in the nation and made three-pointers, and they're finally starting to find that groove again. And they're really doing a, a terrific job of just trying to get guys open and not dribbling and taking contested shots. They're finding the wide-open guy, and even if he has a hand in his face, they have some of the best shooters in this entire conference, and they are shooting at a very high clip right now, and it's very impressive. That's that's a, a good point about the dribbling. Uh, when Quinnipiac played Marist after the game, Marist head coach John Dunn said, you know, Bergoni had a best had one of his best days ever, and we just have to make him dribble. And it's interesting to see how teams are playing him. 
when Rigoni was a freshman and, you know, he was hitting threes left and right, teams kind of started keying in on that, learning how to play him and, you know, forcing him to kind of take that inside route. And that hasn't really been the case in this tournament. And I, I think that's the reason why he's had such great back-to-back games. Yeah, the offense, Rigoni's been special. Desi Jones, Matt Belong, offensively awesome. But we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the defense. Last night against Siena, they held the best player, Kobe Rogers, to his second worst shooting night of the season, shooting less than 30% from the field. I love three-pointers, but if they don't hold Kobe Rogers to one of his worst shooting games, they don't win this game and go off to the semifinals. Also, props to Kevin Marfo. I know he had some rough stretches during the regular season, but he stepped up. He's not putting up crazy numbers, but he's getting, he's getting decisive rebounds. He's switching and stepping up defensively when he has to. And they wouldn't be this far if Marvel hasn't stepped up to this level. Jordan Jones, Victor Eno, Jackson Stormo. We wouldn't expect them to have problems with Kevin Marfo down low based on the stats. But in this postseason, they have missed a lot of layups more often than not. And that's kudos to Kevin Marfo. But also J.J. Riggins and J.J. Bergoni. They have done their thing down low to be able to make it tough, make the paint, paint not a red carpet for other teams to attack. It is, it is in, indeed the truth right there. And Marfo is going to draw his toughest assignment of the entire tournament tonight when he draws Casey and Defo, who's you know one of the most gifted players in this entire conference. And you know Marfo wants this really bad, and you can tell that. You know you can tell that when he is getting abused down low, and he is getting slapped and hit, and you know he's taken he's taken all kinds of hits from all different angles, and he's standing in there strong, and he's putting the ball off the backboard, you know, really well right now, and that is something that just was not happening during that six-game losing streak to end the season where Marfo was in the single digits and scoring every single night, and he wasn't grabbing as many rebounds as, as he you know as he would like to. So to see him come alive, it, I think it sparks the rest of the guys around him because once he becomes a threat, then everybody else becomes a threat as well because you can't let Marfo get hot. You draw everyone inside on him, and it's easy pickings for everybody from outside. I think another another thing that's important to think about, thinking about this uh, men's basketball run, is the doubt surrounding Baker Dunleavy before uh, coming into this tournament. You know, he's he's in his fifth year as head coach at Quinnipiac, and he hasn't been past the first round since his first year here. Uh, coming in as the lowest seed, um, you know, there was there was start starting to hear some questions about, you know, is is Baker the long term guy? And he's really gone out there and uh, led his led his team, you know. Leaded by Jacob Ragoni, who's been here time and time again. Same with Marfo, um, and he's really kind of put that to rest. And now it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, next year as he's on his last year of his contract. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. All right, the team will face off against two-seeded St. Peter's tonight at eight thirty. Jack, what do they need to do to make the championship? I have a really interesting theory that is kind of a desperation heave for Quinnipiac because they come in as seven and a half point underdogs to the number two team in the MAC. Listen, St. Peter's is extremely beatable, and Casey and Defo took a huge step back from he, from his progress last year, and that's saying a lot considering he's still one defensive player of the year this year, but he still is averaging three less points per game. He's averaging one less block per game, and he's not shooting the ball. Uh, as efficiently as he was last year. So he has not been himself this entire season, but he's still one of the best, most gifted players in this league. And what I believe Quinnipiac should do is they should stick Taimu Shinnery on him. Taimu has not been superb offensively this tournament so far, 
But that's okay because the guys around him have been absolutely, absolutely outstanding. I would say if you're if I'm Baker Dunleavy, I would put my I would put Taimu on Casey, right? You put Taimu on Casey, you make him run Casey around in circles all game, you tire him out. If you can do that for 30 minutes, and even if Shinnery fouls out, a guy who's kind of been flying under the radar as a backup PG is Louis Courtright, who has been really, really great off the bench, and he's been giving some quality minutes for these guys at the guard position when Desi needs a rest and when Shinnery is just struggling to put the ball in the basket. So if you don't need that offensive production from Taimu that you needed a year ago, so make him go out there and just tire out in Defo and get Marfo open and that, in turn, will get Argoni. It will keep him open. And I believe Belonk will be able to get to the basket a lot easier because we have not seen Belonk be uh, a serious cutter in this tournament. He has been taking a lot of mid-range jumpers and a lot of three-pointers. And if they can get back to him being that slashing dominant guard that we know he can be because Indefo is no longer a threat just by tiring out, tiring him out, and that's a strategy that I believe they should be considering at 8.30 tonight. Look, Shinnery is the best defender on the Bobcats team, I'd say. But do you think he's big enough to guard Indefo? So no, he's not. And what's end up what, what's end up going to happen is that Indefo is going to be on Marfo, and that's going to be the matchup. But you can double him down, right, with with Shinnery. and that we have seen that a lot. And usually it's Jacob Ragoni who comes in with that double team. But today I really do believe that as long as Shinnery just gets in there and he starts hand fighting. You know, Shinnery is, is really, really gifted in being able to poke the ball away from guys. And that's the kind of things that I think are going to go unnoticed tonight, but will be a big-time difference maker. Shinnery may not stuff the box score every single night, but he does a lot of things really well just because of the fact that he is athletic and he's fast and he can keep up with guys. And that's exactly what Indefo is. So you have to be able to match that. We know that Kevin Marco will not be able to run in circles with Indefo when he needs to. He has that length as well that no one on the Bobcats really has. You know, he's standing at 6'6", and his wingspan reflects that. And, you know, it, it really helps him with those takeaways that would, you know, really give – it'll really make up that seven-and-a-half-point spread that they're that they're facing in, in Vegas and in sportsbooks. So I think, uh, you know, forcing as many takeaways as they can, and that starts with Shinnery, um, will, will help them uh, kind of take this home. I don't know if I agree with the whole idea of time we should be guarding Kevin Marfa. I'm just going to be blunt. I mean, we, we just talked about how good the, the bigs have done defensively. And, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix. I think, you know, obviously Kevin Marfa isn't a strong shot blocking presence by any means, but it just puts time with such a disadvantage when he could be guarding, you know, someone like a Daryl Banks third or a Doug Eater, who are both good scorers in their own right from the perimeter. I think that should be time machinery's focus because we know he is a great perimeter defender, the best perimeter defender on this Quinnipiac team. But there's such a big difference between defending in the paint and defending in the perimeter. Now, I do agree with Jack's point on running Casey and Defo around circles because Casey and Defo is St. Peter's paint defense. Taking a look at the team's last stats against Fairfield in their first round game, St. Peter's did three blocks. All of those blocks were by Casey and Defo. He is the sole interior presence of this team. So I think if you get him on isolation, Get him on pick and roll. Maybe get a switch in there to get a guy like Marfa Ragoni in space down low. Force a double team, kick it out to a three, or finish strong inside. That's a good way to get him running around circles. I don't think. I think it's just a field day to get a guard on, on Casey and Defo down low, or even even at times of the perimeter, because Casey and Defo can show some handles too and can 
drive from the top of the key as well. He, he's, he's gifted for sure. Casey and Defo did set a career high in three-point percentage this season, and so he does have the ability to to dial it up from beyond if he needs to, and that's where I really think Tymo is going to be extremely, extremely instrumental in the Bobcats. On that form, scheme. on that form. But Casey and Defo is a stronger pain presence. While he's improved in his three-point shooting, he prefers the pain. He only took one three against Fairfield uh, last time out. I mean, one. Six for 14 for the field. Rest of those are probably inside. I want to take Indefo away from his inside, so I'd rather have a big on him. I love that we're talking about Quinnipiac's defensive strategy because obviously defense wins championships, but the offense is going to be immensely important. St. Peter's is one of the best defensive teams in the MAC. I believe they give up the least amount of points per game over in the regular season. Obviously, we talk about how Indefo's probably, if not, is the best rim protector in the MAC as well, one defensive player of the year for a reason. So I'm curious to see how the Mac, excuse me, how the Quinnipiac Bobcats continue their shooting ways. If they do test the paint, I wouldn't personally. I'll probably do the driving kick more often, keep using those ball screens with Desi and Marfo, and try to make them get a little confused with the screening defense. However, the shooting has to keep up for the Bobcats. I think the first half will be immensely important. Both wins they've had, they've got off to really good shooting starts. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried, or if I was a Bobcat fan, I would be worried that if they don't get off to a good start, that the defense for St. Peter's would just get stronger as time goes on. So this is where I think Quinnipiac's offensive strategy has to be focused on short bursts. This has been a very, very airtight offense that Quinnipiac has run uh, over these last two games. And Siena and, and Marist, they aren't the world's best defensive team. We know that. And they aren't the best defensive teams that this conference has to offer. But when Bo Quinnipiac struggled to get anything going against Canisius... And, you know, against Monmouth in the, in the end of the season, it gives, it, gi it gives us a lot of hope that they actually can go out and they have a chance against St. Peter's, despite the fact that there is, they are drastically the biggest underdogs that they've, that they've been this entire tournament. They are going to need to rely on two 10-ish point runs this game because we saw it last night. Siena came out and had a furious 16-point run in that latter half of the second half. And it was a, it, Quinnipiac barely scaved by. But they did. And that's all you really need because it's, it's win in advance. And if you can just get two 10 point runs and be the strong defensive team that you've been this season, or this, this tournament rather, excuse me, then you'll be fine. You'll be fine. But you need to get, you need to break that defense down for, short spurts because you know you're not going to be able to get consistent production it's going to be a couple of it's going to be a couple of runs for quinnipiac that separates them from from st peter's bobcats went on two eight oh runs in the first half last night against sienna jack you're saying they need something similar against st peter's indeed and it's it's all about keeping morale high as well and this team feeds off of that more than any others and you know i was on the sideline or on the baseline yesterday uh, taking pictures on my little iPhone. And, you know, it. I was really up close and personal with guys like Jacob Bergoni and Matt Belonk. And, you know, they do a really good job of keeping the bench involved and keeping the energy up. And if they can go on more of those 8-10-0 runs, then that'll really help them. And I think that's kind of fuels the underdog mentality that they've been playing with. Rumor has it that Quinnipiac Spirit Group is coming up today for the semifinals. Thank God. Really? That's yes. Right there. And, I almost don't believe that. <laughs> and we say thank God because they haven't been there for 
everyone with Quinnipiac's tournament yeah, this games is not this far. is not biased this is just school pride at this <laughs> yeah. point yeah <laughs> yeah like and they're the only team that hasn't had that yet no, nothing so that is going to be huge for them too to find other ways to raise energy for them you know as well because if you have a spirit group and a cheer group behind you that just gives you that little extra motivation added boost uh going forward so that would be interesting to look at if they do end up coming Yesterday, Baker Dunleavy said at the press conference that he loved the fact that uh, a lot of Seattle people were in the stands because, you know, the Bobcats love those kind of environments. Diversity, yeah. I'm sure. That Quinnipiac women's basketball was rowdy, too. They, so. they actually did. I credit Quinnipiac women's basketball for Sienna's second half blunder at the buzzer because they, 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 they messed up. I, don't, I forgot yeah. who it was. And once Sienna. women's basketball left, then Sienna went on the then run. Sienna went on the run. So. <laughs> 16-2 run. Yep. Fans are instrumental in this thing, too. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's head over to the team we're less surprised about making it this far, the women's team. They handled business in the quarterfinals against number seven St. Peter's after being down early 18-4, winning by 21. And they play Manhattan this afternoon in the semifinals. Riley, what do you see from the Bobcats in Wednesday's win? So when they went down 18-4 against St. Peter's in the first quarter, they were that, without Mackenzie Dewey, she had two fouls in the first two minutes. She sat the bench for the entire rest of the first half, only played two minutes in the first half. And it showed at the beginning. They were disjointed on defense without one of their better perimeter defenders. Uh, Sajeda Bonner is their best perimeter defender, but I put Mackenzie Dewey is right behind her. Uh, a lot of turnovers on offense. You know, uh, Rose Caverly was, you know, she didn't have any turnovers, but, you know, everything had to flow through her. And she was, you know, starting to not really find her, her targets and, you know, it just really felt like a team that was number two in the tournament last year and lost in the first round to number nine, Ryder. Uh, it looked like they were the same thing was going to happen again. They looked rattled, and it looked like they were remembering what happened last year. And I was getting rattled. I was saying, you know, this this can't be happening. I, I can't believe the number two team is going to lose in the first round two years in a row. And, you know, they, they buckled down so well. It it really blew my mind like Michaela Morris who I thought should have won defensive player of the year just totally became the anchor that she has been all year and you know, she shut down the likes of Sky Castro and Victoria Iconacio, um, who was filling in for the injured Cassandra Brown who suffered a concussion right at the end of the regular season it was so incredible to watch the Quinnipiac women's basketball team stare down a 14 point deficit so early in the game without their star first-team player, and come back and win that game handily by 21 points. Mackenzie DeWeese continues to pleasantly surprise me every single game that she plays. She only played 14 minutes in that St. Peter's game. It had 15 points. That's like a point per minute. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, that is very, very impressive for me. And, and, th and those moments show why that... She was robbed again for a consecutive MAC Player of the Year because of the impact that she brings every minute that she is on the floor. And literally it wasn't just, just being on the court. Yeah, literally just being in the court. Like, you know, that game was close until Mackenzie DeWeese came in and rattled off six straight points in a row with a couple layups and two free throws. And then, you know, now we look at a 21-point final at the end of it. And for DeWeese, you know, not only was it scoring, she had five rebounds, assists there, a couple steals, it's been like that kind of stat line the whole season. Like she just impacts the game in so many ways for this Quinnipiac team. And yeah, I mean, you know, that was huge for them coming out on top. And I think Michaela Morris also 
really stepped up in the second half as well. She had a cold start and was missing a lot of shots that she normally hits. The turnaround was a little bit off. The layups were a little bit off. But I think her for her, again, a strong second half performance for her as well. Again, once Twice was back in the game, she started to get things going. She finished with 13-8. and eight. And the last time that she played against St. Peter, she only had two points. So her step up throughout the entire season has been major. She had seven double-doubles in a row to end out the season. And she has been crucial. So again, and I've been saying it this whole entire time, it's down to your two stars. Your two stars show up. This team can beat anybody. And that includes Manhattan. It was funny to watch, you know, like you mentioned about Deweese. Um, she was right on the doorstep of 1,000 points against St. Peter's. Only needed six more points. She came in with 994. And I tweeted before the game, uh, Mackenzie Deweese looking to get six more points to get to 1,000. And she only played two minutes in the first half. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I Can you imagine she doesn't get to 1,000, which in hindsight was ridiculous because she went on a super obscene run where she scored 15 points. In one half. In one half. <laughs> yeah, against Manhattan, though, who was the third. They had the exact same record as Quinnipiac in the regular season, the third seed, if I remember correctly. They're good. They have D.D. Davis, who I know we'll talk about more in a second, mm-hmm. who averaged 18 points per game. One stat that I do find interesting is that they averaged the least amount of threes per game, only 4.4, where Quinnipiac is fourth. So if the Quinnipiac Bobcats women's team can hold the, the Manhattan Jaspers to their average, that'll be good for their cause because they're a much better shooting team, as well as we already gave the praise of Dewey's. But one thing I always have to respect is that she's not the biggest, she's not the fastest, but she's always in the right place. She's always has her motor, her motor running high, and that will be needed. If she gets in foul trouble, though, like she did against St. Peter's, I'm not sure that'll be as, as beneficial or as easy to make up as that game was two days ago. So, Deweese had two fouls in the first two minutes of the game. Obviously, she had to get taken out then. What do you think about Trisha Fabry's decision to sit her up for the entire rest of the first half? I actually really liked it. I really did. At first, I was like, what the hell? But then I kind of looked back at it, and I was thinking, you know, we had a lot of fouls called that game. Those refs were whistle-happy. I don't care who you are, who you were a fan of. Quinnipiac drew 18 fouls, or excuse me, Quinnipiac committed, yeah, Quinnipiac committed 18 fouls, and uh, St. Peter's also committed 24 of their own fouls, right? So, a lot of fouls that game. And if Deweese draws two in two minutes, and we haven't even gotten into the to the dogfight of the game yet, then you have to sit her out, because those refs were unpredictably blowing their whistle, really when they shouldn't have been, and you don't want to put Deweese in a position where she has three fouls and we are just exiting the first quarter. I remember I I couldn't stop hearing Ross saying, what is Trish doing on the broadcast? Like, why is she not putting Deweese back in? And I was always saying, like, look, like, you know, three fouls, as Jack said, is a tough situation to be in, especially with Deweese's play style because she is a... She pokes. Yes. Physical, aggressive basketball player. If you give her three fouls in the first half, that takes her away, her away from her game. It makes her more uncomfortable and could put her in a setting that happened the year prior when she scored just two points against Ryder in that last two seven games. So if you take her out of that play style with those fouls, that's tough to come back from. So I think, like Jack said, I think it was the right decision from Trish. Again, we she knows better than any of us. She's been coaching in this <laughs> Mac League for 27 years. So if it's anybody that makes a good decision, it's Trish, and she made the right one right there. Indeed. And one thing that one thing that we have to remember is that Trish has been doing this for so long and with this school for so long. And she's been in this position so many times. 
and there are they are in the driver's seat once again to get back to the MAC championship. What they have to do is they have to play their game and not let anything get in their head, whether it be fans not being there from Quinnipiac or the referees. And if the referees are going to take away Quinnipiac from playing their style of game, which is defensive heavy and then you know spot up shooting. And that's taken away from them by a couple of, of shoddy calls from the referees. Then you have to make adjustments based on how the game is going. In baseball, if your umpire is calling strikes six inches off the plate, but they're not calling the inside corner, then you throw the ball six inches off the plate because that's where you know you're going to get called. It's the same exact. It's the same exact strategy. I had to pick up a baseball reference. It's the, <laughs> it's the same strategy though, right? And also, baseball's back. I'm happy about yeah, that. So, I knew that was. Good. <laughs> um, but that you know, you adjust based on how the game flow is going, and credit Trish for making one of the toughest decisions she's had to make all season, and sitting her first team All Mac player for the better the better part of eighteen minutes. I think the the other thing that does is it shows how much faith she has in her secondary Everybody players. Everybody else, like, yeah. So Jada Bonner came through with two huge threes that helped them take a lead at halftime. Jackie Grisdale got a lot of minutes. So a walk on freshman played twenty five minutes in this game. I I think. It, that really showed how much faith she has in the depth of this team, which she has really bragged about all year, is that this team has such a great rotation at every position, and that really showed. Tierra White also had a huge Tierra White had a great basketball. half. She had six points, if I remember correctly, in the yep. first half. Yep. Had six of the first eight points for Quinnipiac. Yep. Yeah, she a, a, a backup big off the bench has been huge for both teams. Uh, you know, We look about J.J. Riggins, who is an all-offense, no-defense guy. But he has he's put up some big minutes for Quinnipiac, especially yesterday against Siena. And Tierra White with some humongous minutes in that first quarter when Michaela Morris wasn't shooting the ball very well and Deweese was sitting. And, and it was the Tierra White show all of a sudden. And that was a humongous pickup off the bench for Trish. Quinnipiac will play Manhattan at 1.30 today. Manhattan handed this team its last loss on March 2nd, 73-69 in overtime. Eric, how can they clinch a championship berth against a tough Manhattan team? It's got to be stopping D.D. Davis. And I know TJ and I talked about this specific topic back in Bobcat Banter last week. And I think it's the same here. D.D. Davis is the type of scorer that thrives on getting a lot of shots. In her 30-point game against Quinnipiac, she had 30 shots. And in her scoring a 1,000-point game against Canisius in the tournament, she also had 18 points and shot 16 times. So the main thing for Quinnipiac is you got to look to neutralize her to get the most minimal amount of shots as possible. And that maybe means double-teaming her when she gets hot right away or maybe even at the start of the game to get the ball out of her hands and let somebody else beat you. Because to be honest with you, there's no other real pure scoring threat like Dee Dee Davis on this team. You guard a Courtney Worley, but her main game is getting the offensive board and putting it back in and finishing down low. She's not a shooter by any means. So slow down D.D. Davis, neutralize the best score, get the ball out of her hands and get her at the most minimal amount of shots possible because that takes D.D. out of her game because she thrives on getting the most amount of shots. She's a volume shooter, which means she needs the ball in her hands to shoot and get up as many shots as possible to get her points. After, I think, stopping D.D. Davis and keeping Manhattan just, just averaging their four three-pointers like they did during the regular season, it's going to be really important that the Quinnipiac Bobcats control the glass Manhattan's the best rebounding team in the MAC. They average the second most offensive rebounds in the MAC as well, the highest rebounding margin. So Quinnipiac would be at a, they would do a disservice if they don't control the glass and give Manhattan extra opportunities if 
D.D. Davis does miss a shot and a teammate gets it back up and puts it back in, as well as if they get defensive rebounds, they can easily just push it and hopefully get their offense going so it's not much of a slow-paced game, which I think is what Manhattan would prefer. D.D. Davis is the most gifted scorer in this league. Lou Lopez sent a call, credit to her. She's she's just tall though. You know, she's six one and she and she yeah. and she moves really well. But Dee Dee Davis has the ability to hit contested shots with great defenders in her face, and we watched that yesterday against Canisius. So one thing that, you know, it's gonna be a tough draw for Deweese because Deweese can be in Dee Dee's face all day long, but it's not gonna matter as long as you know, as long as Dee Dee puts up shots as Eric mentioned. Some of them are going to go in, and it's going to be enough to carry Manhattan offensively in this game. It really is going to come down to how Rose Caverly runs the offense through her because, as Noah mentioned, she struggles at times. She is one of the streakiest players in this conference. When she's hot, she's hot, but when she's cold, she is one of the worst shooters in the country. So it is it is going to be a game that where if Rose Caverly comes out of the gates and she's playing really well, then Quinnipiac really has nothing to worry about. But if she comes out and she is not making smart decisions with with the ball, then it's going to be a, a long fight for Quinnipiac. Yeah, I, I like that take on on Didi specifically because she's good at scoring with the ball in her hands. Where the difference between her and Lou is that Lou thrives scoring without the basketball. She gets a lot of down screens and gets her open for a really smooth jump shot. I'm gonna go back to TJ's point really quick. I think something that Quinnipiac did really really well against Manhattan, and also Fairfield did really well against Manhattan, is they zoned up. They played a two three zone, which got them out of their game. Because they packed the paint and said, "Hey, it had you're the worst, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the conference. Let's let you shoot that thing." And they missed a lot. And Quinnipiac got into a two-three zone in the second half, and that's how they got their run to be able to win at home on the first matchup of the season. I think that was one of the big reasons that Canisius were able to hang around with Manhattan in the quarterfinals. Was you know you you saw in the first half, Canisius was you know they were starting to hit their shots, and Manhattan looked kind of rattled and. You know, they, it looks like they were trying to play keep up, which is not what you want to see as the number three seed, who I believe is on the same tier as Fairfield and Quinnipiac, who they've, they've played at the same uh, capacity all year long against the number 11 seed, Canisius. So it was it was interesting to see uh, their mindset against a team that, you know, kind of like the Quinnipiac men's team, came in with an underdog mentality and kind of sized up against Manhattan and said, as well, uh, Canisius almost out-rebounded Manhattan in uh, the first half. Manhattan, one of the tallest teams, and Canisius, one of the shortest. So I, I think that that speaks to the fact that, especially when you have Michaela Morris, one of the best rebounders in the conference, uh, some of these strengths for Manhattan, you know, we've, we've seen them kind of trend downward lately. So I think that kind of leaves the door open for Quinnipiac to make some noise. I look for at least one of these two players to have a pretty solid game if Quinnipiac wants to beat Manhattan. Either Imani Free, who had a bad shooting game last last time out against St. Peter's, or C.T. Haywood. I think if one of those two players scores at least double figures alongside DeWeese and Michaela Morris, Quinnipiac should be in pretty good shape. Imani Free had a career high in points against Manhattan already this season at about 21. So could be due for another big game here today. Eric, you talked about Morley's offensive rebounds are being so good on the glass, likely matched up with Michaela Morris. So what do you guys think about that matchup going forward? That's going to be a huge matchup. I think that also alongside the 1K score matchup in DeWeese and D.D. Davis, that's a huge matchup in itself down low in Worley and Morris because, you know, Worley is such a dominant offensive rebounder and, and rebounder in general. And, 
If you get her opportunities to put the putback layup, that's going to be tough. And she also comes in as one of the top uh, rebounders in the conference as well. So the main thing that McKeelan Morris has to do is obviously get a body in her at all times. Let everybody else worry about their own assignment on the boards, but McKeelan Morris has to find Courtney Worley almost every single time. Because if you don't, that's what's going to get Manhattan those second chances, even if they miss those threes, to get them that open look in the paint or get them that open look that they want to get after multiple shot attempts. And that's part of the reason why Dee Davis gets multiple shot attempts, is because Courtney Worley and Brazil Harvey Carr and others in that team are really dominant rebounding the basketball. So Keelan Morris has to find Courtney Worley almost every single time on defense. Courtney Worley is actually the reason why Michaela Morris wasn't able to average a double-double this season. And the last time Quinnipiac played Manhattan in that overtime loss, Morris was held to just seven rebounds, and that actually broke her streak of seven straight double-doubles. So I would say, you know, Morris grabbing 10-plus rebounds along with what TJ said about, you know, three players and double figures, that should be enough right there to, to, to get them into the championship round. But it, it is going to be the toughest assignment for Morris this season so far, and it's going to be the toughest assignment for DeWeese so far this season. So this is the biggest game of the season. Of course, it's the semifinals. It, of course, is the biggest game of the season. But on an individual level, you know, you had, you know, you could have done anything you really wanted against St. Peter's. You were probably going to win that game no matter what. Uh, against Manhattan, though, this is one of the three teams in the conference that actually had a positive scoring margin. So you have to be on your A game and you have a daunting task in, you know, assuming you're playing Fairfield next, you know, you, you have a daunting task in, in shutting down the best scorer, you know, the two best scorers in this conference uh, in two straight games. These teams are about as evenly matched as it gets. It's literally two and three seed decided between them was decided by one matchup history against Niagara where Quinnipiac happened to win two games and come back from a 26-point deficit. So realistically, this could be flipped. So I think these two teams are as close as it gets, and it's going to be a tight, tight game throughout. Fun basketball in Atlanta City. Looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. It's been fun all week, fellas. It's been fun all week. It's crazy. been an amazing week. March Madness, baby. I love it. I would say it a lot, to Mac be honest. Madness. Oh, yeah. Mac Madness. Mac Madness. Mac Madness. I like March Madness better. March yeah, Madness. Is, yeah, it does. All right, does. March Madness it is. Here we go. Follow our March Madness content on theqbsn.com, q30tv.com, and qchronicle.com. Thanks, Jack, Eric, Riley, and TJ. This was a lot of fun. Enjoy the games because this is March.